The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, ladies. Good job this morning. And I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you have them with me, please, to Jeremiah chapter number 32. Jeremiah chapter number 32, of course, uh, our year's theme for the church is all things possible. And uh, we, of course, derive that from Matthew chapter 19 on, uh, on Vision Sunday that night uh, back in January. I uh, brought a message that Sunday evening entitled, The Seemingly Impossibility of Salvation. And uh, that was from this portion of scripture out of Matthew 19. And the reason for it being titled that is because the, the, what is, break, brought, is being brought, break, what am I trying to say? What is happening in uh, that portion of scripture is the fact that the disciples are with Jesus. Uh, the rich young ruler comes along and says, Lord, what, what must I do to be saved? And uh, Jesus, of course, is saying, you have to trust me more than anything else. You have to put your faith and trust in me and my work and not your, your wealth, not your ability, not what you can do. And so the way he tries to put that tangibly to him is uh, he says, sell all the things that you own. Give all the possessions and everything that you g- gain from it. Give it to the poor and come follow me. Because Jesus knew that this young man was f- trusting in his riches, trusting in his own provision, And he said, well, I don't know that I can do that. And he walked away sorrowful, the Bible said, right? Well, then the next thing you know, Jesus is continuing to teach his disciples, and he tells his disciples it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's not speaking of a literal needle, sewing needle, in the eye of it, uh, and a physical camel. He's talking about a physical camel, yes, but there was a specific gate there in Jerusalem they would call the eye of the needle, and it was the size of it, if a camel was to go through it, it would have to get down and crawl through, almost seemingly impossible for that to happen. Nevertheless, if it was loaded up with, with belongings and p- p- packages and possessions, they'd have to completely unload it help the camel through, which was almost impossible in and of itself, and then push the packages through and then reload it. And so that's the concept. That's what he was saying there. And so the disciples said, well, we've left our father and mother and the goods behind, and we followed you. And how, how are we able, how can someone be saved is what they said. And Jesus said this, he said, with man, it is not possible, but with God, all things are possible. And so we said, if the Lord was able to create the entire world, then definitely He's able to save you and I. Humanly speaking, salvation doesn't even make sense. Humanly speaking, it doesn't seem like there's any way that a person could ever come to know a holy God and have a relationship with Him, but with God, all things are possible. Then, of course, two weeks ago... We continued this series. We picked it back up, if you may, because we finished up studying through the book of Romans, and we went to the book of Genesis, and we learned the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah had been promised that God was going to give them a son, uh, but it hadn't happened yet. At this time, Abraham is about 100, Sarah is about 90 years of age, and the Bible tells us that Abraham was sitting in his tent door, uh, just enjoying the afternoon, and then the Lord showed up. 
The Lord showed up and he had a conversation with Abraham and reiterated the promise that he had made to Abraham and said, uh, Abraham, you will have a son and I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to bless you with it. Well, Sarah overheard it as she was in the tent and she began to chuckle, laugh and, and mocked almost. She, she doubted that this is going to happen. She said, how is this going to happen? I'm old and my husband as well. Of course, we said she's 100, he's 100, she's 90. We get the picture there. No wonder she had some doubts about it. But again, there's nothing too hard for God. And we're going to pick up another portion of Scripture here this morning that corresponds with that. And it's out of Jeremiah chapter number 32. Now, as we speak about these things, or if you've been with us on Wednesday nights as we've been studying through the book of Daniel, some of the events that we refer to, historically speaking, you'll recognize because it's corresponding with that time frame in which Daniel and the children of Israel would have been exiled in Babylon. But pick up with me in Jeremiah 32 and look at verse number 16, please. Jeremiah 32, 16. Now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase to Barak, the son of uh, Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by the great, thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and re recompensed the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts, is his name. Great in counsel and mighty in work, for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, which hath set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day and in Israel and among other men, and hast made thee a name as this day, at this day. Verse number 21, And hast brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched, stretched out arm and with great terror. And hast given them this land, which thou didst swear to their fathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and possessed it, and they obeyed, but they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing of all that thou hast commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Behold the mounts, they are come unto the city to take it, and the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword and the, of the famine and of the pestilence, and what thou hast spoken is come to pass, and behold, thou seest it. Verse number 25, and thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for money and take witness, for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord God of all, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now take your Bibles and look at verse, chapter 33 and verse number 3. Jeremiah 33 and verse number 3. The Lord says to Jeremiah, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity to be in your house today. Our God, we'd ask that you just bless our time together in the study of your word. That, we'd help, uh, that you'd help us to hear from it, that you'd help us to know more about you because of it, that you give me the word to speak and to deliver your message this morning. And God, I'd ask that you would just bless and that you'd be magnified and honored and glorified in everything said and done, that your will might be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the book of Jeremiah, it was written against the backdrop of, uh, of extreme evil. Uh, there's, there's wickedness that is taking place uh, throughout not only the land of Israel, but also the world at large. Uh, specifically, the people of God had walked away from His commands. The, he had 
given them his commandments. They had, uh, he had shown himself mighty. He's delivered them out of bondage, out of Egypt, prior to all this, of course. And uh, they've, turned his, they've turned their back on him. And uh, not only have they turned their back on him and not listened, but they've also started worshiping pagan gods, false gods. And the, the character of the people of Israel is clearly seen in verses 28 through 35 of the same chapter. Now, we didn't read those yet. We will pick up and read some of them in a moment. So don't worry yourself about jumping ahead and trying to read about it right now because we'll come to it. But because of their sin, God is bringing his judgment upon, the, upon his people and uh, this judgment was a time of pain. It was a time of sorrow and death. And it was a time of judgment, yes. And it, 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 was, it, it was to in this atmosphere of evil and wickedness and pain and suffering and trouble that the prophet Jeremiah was commissioned and called to the service of God. He was sent to these people, these people that had turned their back on God, and he was sent to them to deliver the message of God. And uh, Jeremiah, though, was sent to a people that would not heed his message. He was sent to a people that would not hear his message. They had totally turned, turned off God and tuned out his people, tuned out his message. As he was sent to call for repentance and to turn back to God, they turned a deaf ear to his message. And uh, over and over again, he would declare that, hey, if you turn to God, you can escape judgment and when they wouldn't listen, he was also tasked with the, with the job of saying, well, because you didn't turn back to God, here comes the judgment. Jeremiah preached for, in this climate for 50 years. 50 years he preached proclaiming, turn to God without anyone turning to God. For 50 years he would preach saying, because you haven't turned to God, the judgment of God is looming and no one seemed to care. It was a tragic time for the nation of Israel, and Jeremiah had been sent to them to proclaim this judgment. He had been sent to the people for them to know that they had angered God, and out of that anger and out of that disobedience to God, there would be a punishment. My friends, let me just pause, and I might reiterate this point later on, but in case I forget to say this, God is love. First John tells us that. But my friends, God is a perfect God. And being a perfect God means he is perfect in his judgment as well. That makes him a just God. And if, if he has made a promise that if, you, if, this, if his people would follow him, that he would bless them, then he will keep his promise and give blessings. But if his word also said that if they would not follow, that there would be punishment to follow, guess what, my friends? He's going to keep his word and bring punishment. Any good father would. If you've ever had children and your children are disobeying, and you tell them, if you don't stop and straighten up, ABC is going to happen, and ABC never happens, you're just doing your child a disservice. And if God were to be that way, He would not be a perfect God, and He truly would not be a loving God either. But it is, so be, it is because of His love that He is just as well. And He is just in bringing this punishment or judgment to Israel. Because they had already together agreed that as long as they obeyed him, he'd bless them. But if they ever walked away from him, there would be punishment to follow. This is not just something God said, this has to happen. This was something that the children of Israel agreed to. So before we think that God is just being harsh and out of line, let's realize the agreement that they had entered into together. But nevertheless, 
Jeremiah had been commanded to tell them that their nation in judgment would be invaded. It'd be by the Babylonian people that we've been learning about in the book of Daniel on Wednesday nights. Not only though would they be invaded, but also they would be taken into captivity. And ultimately we know as we've been studying on through Daniel that that captivity or exile in Babylon would last for 70 years. And Jeremiah would explain these things throughout his book as well. He also was tasked with the job of delivering a message of judgment to the king of Israel himself. What a, what a task that must have been. Having hear, heard all of these things that Jeremiah had to do in his preaching and delivering the message of God, you can tell that he was a very popular person in Israel, right? Absolutely not. He was one of the least popular people in all of Israel. He was so unpopular, in fact, that the king hated him. King Zedekiah, in the same chapter of chapter 32, verses 1 through 5, the Bible tells us that King Zedekiah hated the words of Jeremiah, and so therefore sent Jeremiah to prison because of it. And it is Jeremiah sitting in prison, that's where he's sitting in prison when we read this portion of Scripture that we've read today. Beginning in verse number 16 that we read, he's praying a prayer, and he has found himself in a horrible, horrible situation. For the sake of our series, All Things Possible, could I put it to you this way, that Jeremiah has found himself seemingly in an impossible situation? Hey, remember now, my friends, Jeremiah is just obeying God. He's following the Lord's will. He's proclaiming the Lord's word. He's telling the people of God that this is what God desires for you to do. And then when they didn't obey, he's delivering the message on behalf of God to say, here's your punishment that's coming. Jeremiah, the only thing he ever did was to obey God. And where did it land him? In prison. And we'd say that he found himself in a seemingly impossible situation. And can I say this morning that everyone here today knows that we're facing some difficult times in our own lives today. Whether it be about the worldwide pandemic, whether it be about economic unrest, whether it be about uh, social issues, I mean, you could just go on down the list and we could agree that we are faced with some trying times, sometimes might even seeming as if they are impossible situations. But as we read here in, in Jeremiah's prayer in uh, verse number 17, where he says, there is nothing too hard for thee. And where God reiterates that later on in the passage where he says, is anything too hard for me? When we're reminded again through this difficult time in Jeremiah's life, this impossible situation that he is in, that he's trusting in a God who has the ability to complete the impossible. He, he's trusting, he's praying to the God of the impossible. And if the God of the impossible was Jeremiah's God in that day, and we serve the same God today, can I say to you this morning that God is still the God of the impossible? Amen. Think about it. Put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes. If you had just done what you believe God wanted you to do, and that's all you've done with your life, and it, you find yourself thrown in the prison because of it, and facing these impossible situations, how would you respond? Can I be honest? That in and of myself, I would want to respond with a woe is me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. 
I guess I'll go eat worms. <laughs> if I could find a dandelion, I'd be plucking it. They love me. They love me not. They love me. They love me not. And every time it would land on they love me not to end. If I was in Jeremiah's situation and in and of my own self, I would be throwing a fit. But that's not Jeremiah's response. Jeremiah's response is a prayer. And that's why I've entitled the message today, A Seemingly Impossible Prayer. Because we see a man in, in the midst of impossible situations where many times, i be honest, I would not have been the first to go to the Lord in prayer. But Jeremiah sets a, a precedent for us, if you may, on how we should respond. Notice with me, number one, this morning, his dependence upon the Lord. In verses 17 through 22, for the sake of time, we won't read them all right now. We'll pick them up as we go along this morning. But in this prayer, it's a, it's a great prayer of hope, if you may. Jeremiah is presenting evidence as to who he has learned God to be. And he, he, he is presenting this evidence based off of the nature of God, who he is, and what God has done for him and through his life. And can I say this morning again that since God is immutable, that means that he cannot change. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 6 tells us that. And Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8 reminds us that he's the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And that he changes not. And if he is the same God then as he is today, that means he's still immutable today. And if these attributes or the nature of God existed to God in Jeremiah's day, guess what that means for us today? It exists for God today as well. And notice that Jeremiah's foundation of confidence had several anchor points, if you may. And he, he tied himself to this confident foundation in who God is through these things. Notice with me in verse number 17, as he depended upon the Lord, he, he had confidence in the, he had a foundation of confidence in the Lord that had an anchor point of God's creation. Notice verse number 17 with me again. O oh, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Here we find that Jeremiah considers the work of God's hands. He considers the creation that lied before him, and he was serving the one to, who, to whom nothing was impossible. The heavens above and the world around Jeremiah declared that, uh, that God was powerful, and it declared the person of God as well. And the creation still today proclaims who God is. If there, I, I would have to state this this morning, that there may not be a greater commentary on who God is than Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1 itself. Because it tells us there expressly in verse number 1 that God created the heavens and the earth, period. There's no wiggle room on that. There's, there, there's no area to say, well... It doesn't mean exactly what it says. If you just study it out a little longer, there's no way. It says he created it, period. That's the end. God said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. He divided the lands from the waters and all that took place as just a spoken word. And if Genesis 1-1 isn't enough for you, consider verses like Psalm 19 verses 1 through 4. Or Psalm 8 verses 1 through 3. Or Isaiah 40 verse number 12. Or in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20 that declares that nature itself, nature itself declares the glory of the Lord. 
But I'd say this morning that regardless of whatever your path might be in your path today, can I remind you that the God who created every circumstance and situation is the God who holds you in his hand. And if he had the power to speak this world into creation, he has the power to keep you. If he has the power to be able to speak and the winds and the waves obey his voice, he has the power to save you as well, my friends. But notice the dependence upon God that Jeremiah had a, a foundation of confidence that was anchored by God's creation. The foundation of confidence was also anchored by God's character. Notice verses 18 through 20. Verse number 18, Jeremiah continues on. He says, Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands, and recompenses the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day and in Israel and among other men, and has made thee a name as at this day. The language that Jeremiah uses as we read through these verses describe God and reminds us to who he is and his character. He speaks of how God is a God of grace, and He's a God of love and mercy and provision. God is a God of miracles, and He's a God of power. And my friends, He speaks of how God is a God who will move heaven and earth and suppress the very laws of nature, if necessary, to come to bat on behalf of His people. The words of Jeremiah should be enough for us. It's Scripture, after all. It's in the Word. And the fact that he tells us that, he's, that God is powerful, the fact that he tells us that God is mighty, the fact that he tells us that God is merciful and gracious, that ought to be enough for us to say, praise God that we have a God that is that great in character. But if that is not enough for you, consider some other illustrations throughout Scripture, my friends. Consider how we would, we would think about Elijah himself. Elijah the prophet, as he is there at the brook Cherith, he is, he, he, he's, he's hiding himself, and he has no way of providing for himself, and God sends ravens to carry food to Elijah so that he might be sustained and provided for. Consider how Elijah was at Mount Carmel, and those hundreds of prophets of Baal were there, and they each had their own uh, altar erected to their gods. And the prophets of Baal were calling out to their god Baal and saying, send fire down from heaven and, and set this altar on fire. And, and uh, they cried and cut themselves, and nothing ever happened. And Elijah called out to God, and he said, God, hear your prophet. But before he called out, what did he do? He took pots of water, and he doused the altar he, he completely soaked the altar, so much so that there was a moat around the altar, and that moat filled up with water. And then when God call, or Elijah called out to God and said, God, hear the voice of your prophet, God sent fire down from heaven that lapped up all of the water from the moat that was around it and consumed the altar. The altar should not have been able to catch fire. It was soaking wet. But God completely changed the laws of nature to come to, to bat on behalf of his people. Think about the three Hebrew children in the book of Daniel. They, 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 they said, hey, we will not bend. We will not bow. And if it means we'll burn, we're willing to do it. But they didn't burn, did they? they when, the, when the music played and everyone else bowed down and started to worship the, the, uh, the false idol, 
that, uh, the, the statue, they remained steadfast. This, of course, brought fury to the king, and, and uh, he commanded them to be gathered up and to be, uh, for the furnace to be turned up ten times hotter, and they were thrown into that furnace. But the Bible says that not even a hair on their body was singed. In fact, the fire that was supposed to consume them consumed the guards that threw them in it. And as the, as the king looked into the furnace that day, he says, did we not throw three men bound into the fire? And they said, oh, yeah, we did. I see four, and the fourth is like unto the Son of God. And they were loosed, and they were, and they were walking around with no harm, where these men should have been completely burnt to crisps. God changed the laws of nature to come to bat on behalf of his people. In the same book, the book, the book of Daniel, the, the author himself, Daniel, uh, he said he was commanded not to pray to God, not to pray any, to anyone but the, the king, but he stayed faithful to praying three times daily like he always did before. So they said, we're going to throw him into the lion's den. You ever see that at the circus, that crazy guy that sticks his head in the lion's mouth? Like, what's wrong with that guy, right? But can I say that Daniel could have done that for the entire night without worry of being consumed or eaten by that lion? The Lord providentially hindered those lions from being able to bring any harm to Daniel. The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is there with his disciples and there's at least 5,000 men, probably more with women and children, right? They've been there all day long, and these people have been listening to Jesus preach, and the disciples come along. They're, they're concerned for the other people. They're hungry. They've been here all day long. Can I be honest? The disciples are probably concerned for, for themselves. They were hungry as well. But they say, hey, we need to just send them on home. Let them get take, take, taken care of, find their food, and get rest tonight. Jesus said, well, why don't we just take care of them? We don't have any th food. The only thing we have is one little boy brought a lunch. His mama was smart enough to send him with a lunch that day. Five loaves and two little fishes, and that's all we have. What are they among so many? Jesus said, have them sit down. And Jesus prayed over that meal and began to have the disciples distribute to all the people there. And one by one, 5,000 plus people were, were, were served 5,000 plus people ate, and 5,000 plus people were filled, and there was 12 baskets left over remaining. You say, how in the world did that happen, God? Because God's character is such that he will change, he, he, he will move heaven and earth, he will spend the very laws of nature itself in order to come to bat on behalf of his people. You say, well, that's just the Bible. That's just things that those people in those days experienced those things. No, my friends, if God is immutable, and he is, that means he's unchanging. He's still the same God today. Notice God's conversion here in verses 21 through 22 as well. It says, Hast brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs, with wonders, with a strong hand, with a stretched out arm, and with great terror. And hast given them this land that thou didst swear to the fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah is finding confidence again. He's anchoring his confidence, the foundation of confidence to the Lord through his, his creation and through his character, through the conversion that he would bring. And here the people of, of God were in, were in uh, captivity in, in, in Egypt. And God brought the ten plagues to be able to bring them out and use Moses to lead them out ultimately to this land, this promised land that he had promised them. 
My friends, when I consider all that God has done for His people and continues to do for His people today, when I consider it's the God that created everything. Yesterday, we had an anomaly in around here, didn't we? Snow just started falling out of nowhere. I think, I think the uh, storm system got lost and took a south turn from, the, from like South Dakota or something. I don't know, but nevertheless, that normally doesn't happen. But God caused that to happen. God's the one who did that. He created these mountains and the beauty to behold. He created all life. He created the sun and the moon and the stars and the entire universe and galaxy, right? We've got scientists and astronauts that are trying to go to all kinds of the remote regions of this, of this galaxy and the universe that we know of, but you realize that there's things further than that even that we don't even yet know about? We probably never will know about, and God created it all. And when I think that God sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth to die on the cross for me, out of all that there is out there, what a God he is. Amen. He's a God that can be depended upon. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. I can depend upon God through all of this. But my friends, consider that Jeremiah is praying this and he's saying all of this in all that is happening in his life. We've already said he's in prison. But point number two notice with me this morning, the danger that was looming for them. In the next few verses, 23 through 25, and I'm going to pick up the speed quick this morning as we're getting late in time, but as uh, we pick up here in verse 23, we find that the scriptures record that there's punishment that's coming. Not only is Jeremiah in prison, but the armies that are going to besiege them, the armies that are going to take them captive are going to be on their way. And consider the fact that Jeremiah can pray and say there's nothing too hard for God while he's sitting in prison knowing what lies ahead in the future. The problems they faced here in verses 23 through 24, uh, the Bible tells us here in verse number 23, and they came in and possessed it. This speaking of the children of Israel coming into the promised land. They took the land that God had promised them. He blessed them. He answered their prayers. He did everything that he promised them to do. But notice it says that they did none of the commands that God commanded them to do. And so because of that, verse number 24 tells us, Behold the mounts, they are come unto the city to take it, and the city is given unto the hands of the Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword and of the famine of pestilence. And what thou hast spoken is come to pass, and behold, thou seest it. See, we find here that the people of God were about to face great judgment. And in the midst of this great judgment and the suffering that they would experience, uh, then that God was still in control, and Jeremiah knew that, and Jeremiah was still saying that, hey, there's nothing too hard for God, but can I say that I believe that the, the thoughts of the future still bothered Jeremiah? His people were going to experience this. He's going to experience this. It ought to bother us as well. Sometimes I think we get into this mindset that as long as we just keep ourselves in our little bubble of doing what we think God would want us to do, that somehow we're going to escape every little bad thing that would happen in this world. Jeremiah spent 50 years doing nothing, nothing less than obeying God. But he's still in prison, and he's still going to experience the judgment with the rest of his people. My friends, I'm not standing here to speak doom and gloom or anything like that, but I'm just saying... We need to realize that in this world, there will be tribulation. Jesus said it. 
There will be troubles. And we ought to do our best. We ought to stay faithful to God, but not forget that when God sends a national judgment, it's still going to include us as well. We're going to be involved in it. Because Jeremiah, we find, is the same situation, same circumstances taking place. The problems that, they, that he faced. Notice the plan that he followed in verse number 25, though. And uh, thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for money and take witness. The beginning of this chapter, we find that uh, Jeremiah had been instructed to buy a field from his uncle. He had to pay money, all, the whole kit and caboodle. I mean, it wasn't just given to him. He had to purchase the land. Now, consider this, though. Jeremiah is being told to go purchase land, all the while knowing that judgment is coming, and that judgment is going to include a foreign nation coming in and taking control of all the land. Wait a minute. God, why do you want me to buy land that I'm not even going to be able to keep for myself? Because you've already promised that another nation is coming in to take away all the land. What is going on? But in the midst of all of this, in the midst of not understanding, in the midst of saying, wow, this seems kind of odd, what did Jeremiah do? He obeyed, and he still purchased the land, and he stayed faithful and trusted the Lord. There was a predicament he feared, though. It was the last part of verse number 25. He says, for the city is given unto the hands of the Chaldeans. Normally, when a person buys land, they have plans for it for the future, right? whether he was going to build or whether he was going to maybe put some type of a, a crop, plant a crop on it and get, raise a, a, bring a harvest, or maybe he's going to put some cattle out in and raise them out on there. But nevertheless, he knows that the uh, people of uh, the Chaldeans are coming to take away the land in the future. So in his thought, he's, in his mind, he's surely thinking, well, if I go and buy the land, people are going to say, why are you buying it? I'm going to say, God told me to. And then when the Chaldeans come in and they rip away the land from me and they take it, and people are going to say, didn't you say God told you to buy that land? Well, yeah. Well, then why do you let it get taken from you if he wanted you to buy it? See where the predicament that, that Jeremiah is in? See, a lot of times we find, even in Scripture and in our own lives, that sometimes when we feel like the Lord is calling us to do something or has a plan for us, it doesn't always make earthly sense. Not just here in Jeremiah, but consider Moses. Uh, Moses was commanded as he led the people out of, out of Egypt. They get there to the Red Sea, right? And they've got mountains and the sea on, on, on three sides, and they've got an army following behind them to, to, to take them back into captivity on the, uh, behind them on the other side. So you would think, logically, Daniel, or not Daniel, Moses would say, uh, all right, let's gather whatever we can to make weapons and, and prepare de defense and, and get a strategy for war, because we're going to have to go into a battle against these uh, soldiers from Egypt that are coming after us. And so he prays to God, God, give me wisdom on how we should have this battle. And what did God tell him to do? Hey, Moses, take that stick in your hand, stretch it out over the water, and just stand there and wait. See the salvation of the Lord. Huh, what? Wait, I thought you, you mean you don't want me to go get a tank and a bazooka and a nuclear, like that's where, I, that's where we need right now, but you want me to take a stick and hold it over the water? It doesn't make much earthly sense, but when Moses obeyed and stretched out his arms, the waters of the Red Sea parted, and the children of Israel walked across on dry land, and as the uh, armies of Pharaoh followed after, he closed the waters and consumed them, and they were on the other side safe and secure. It didn't make human sense, but that was God's plan. That was His will. Moses, again, in chapter 15 of Exodus, is commanded to go over and cut down a tree over in the corner there and throw it into this pool of water. 
pool of water with some place uh, uh, that they wanted to drink from because they were dry, walking through the wilderness. They didn't have anything to drink, and so they come to this water, and it was bitter. It couldn't be, it couldn't be drank. So God says, hey, uh, go cut down that tree. Moses was thinking, what do you mean go cut down a tree? Don't you want me to dig for another well somewhere else? Like, go find a, let's keep on traveling. Hopefully, we'll find a, a clear spring somewhere. But God says, cut down that tree and throw it in there. What's that going to do? But he obeyed, and God made the water capable of being drank. We come to Exodus chapter 17, and Moses was commanded to, again, he's looking for water. He's not digging down into the, into the ground trying to find a well. He's not going to find a, a, a spring anywhere. God tells him to take and smite, strike a rock. Now, I know that when it rains here, and it doesn't rain a whole lot, but I know when it rains here, it births rocks from the ground, and they po poke up out of it everywhere. Brother Roy was here yesterday for work day, and he's like, we got to get those things taken care of because uh, it seems like they just pop up out of nowhere when I'm out here mowing and such. Uh, but you know what? Even though it seems like the water brings rocks to our land, I've never once thought, if I break this rock open, I'm going to be able to get a drink. It doesn't make human sense, does it? God said, smite the rock. And when he smote the rock, water come out and took care of the people. All I'm saying is every one of those situations seeming, seems humanly illogical. Buying a land that you know that a group, another nation is going to come in and steal away from you doesn't seem like much logical sense. But the plan that Jeremiah followed was simply to trust the Lord. Why? Because the Lord's the God of the impossible. Where it doesn't make sense to us, he's got a plan that's greater. Lastly, let me close with this. Number three, his defense at last. And we are going to go through the last part of chapter 32 in the chapter number 33. And the Lord speaks to Jeremiah to bring him comfort in this hour of crisis. And God says to Jeremiah in these verses, uh, and, and he speaks in such a way to truly comfort his heart. I believe that these words can comfort our hearts as well as we face trying times in our lives today. Notice how Jeremiah was comforted by God's power in verses 26 through 35. Jeremiah 26 through 35, and it says, Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it, and the Chaldeans that fight against this city shall come and set fire on the city and burn it and the, uh, with the houses upon the roofs. And uh, they have offered incense unto Baal and poured out drink offerings unto the other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have uh, done, uh, only done evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, uh, saith the Lord. Verse number 31. For this city hath been to me as a provocation of mine, of mine anger and of my fury from the, from the day that they built it, even unto this day, that I should remove it from before thy face, because of all the evil of the children of Israel and of the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, and their kings and their princes, and the priests and the prophets and the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned unto me, uh, turned un, uh, unto me the back and not the face, though I taught them, right, raising uh, up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. 
and they built the high place of Baal and are in the valley of the son of Hin, uh, Hinnom uh, to, cu- to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire of Molech which I commanded them not, neither came it into my hand, and they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. He speaks of of the great power that he's going to come and bringing destruction and judgment to the people uh, of of Israel and, and their city. You say, how does that bring comfort to Jeremiah's heart? The destruction of what's going to take place. Well, we're going to read in a little bit that God has promised that while they're going to be removed, they will be allowed to come back. So if Jeremiah realizes God's power in allowing such calamity to come against Israel, it's just greater proof of his power to allow and bring them back to restore them in a place that has been brought to nothing. You follow what I'm saying here? And so we find here that Jeremiah's defense has come and the fact that he says, hey, I'm comforted in the fact that God is all-powerful. God is still the God who possesses all power in heaven and earth, as it says in Matthew 28, 18. He's still the God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask and think in Ephesians 3, 20. He's still the God who's works, who works all things after the counsel of his own will, as it says in Ephesians 1, 11. We also find that Jeremiah was comforted by God's promises in verses 36 through 44. And now, therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning this city, whereof you say it shall be delivered in the hands of the king of Babylon by the sword, by famine and pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, uh, whether I have driven them in mine anger and my fury and in great, great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place and will cause them to, to, to dwell safely. There's the promise again. He said, here's the power I have to, to, to rip them out of everything they know. I've got the ability and use any ability I desire to take them away, bring utter destruction, but here's my promise. I'm going to bring them back and cause them to dwell safely. And the power that God had brought comfort to Jeremiah's heart. His promises brought, uh, brought comfort to Jeremiah's heart. And let me close with this. The comfort of God was brought to Jeremiah through God's proclamation as well. Notice chapter 33, verses 1 through 3. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, uh, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Verse number three, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We find in Matthew 7 and verse number 7 that we're commanded that if we ask, that it shall be given unto you. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, it will be opened unto us. And he goes on later in that, in that chapter to say that if we... Being evil human beings, wicked human beings, are, know how to be good fathers and give good gifts to our children. How much more, how much greater is our Heavenly Father able to take care of you and I if we just simply ask? See, the whole conclusion this morning is this, simply this, that when we are faced with a terrible and seemingly impossible situation, remember that we serve the God of the impossible and let's go to Him in prayer. It might be a seemingly impossible prayer to those on the outside. How in the world can you go to God in prayer at this time? Why aren't you getting up and trying to do something about it? Why aren't you trying to figure out and make a plan about this? But when we go to the Lord in prayer and He works all things together for good, then guess who gets the honor? Guess who gets the glory? God gets the glory. We don't get to go around saying, well, yeah, I figured out this great plan to get me out of debt. I figured out this great plan to figure out how to get me out of this horrible situation, this mess that I got in, myself in. No, when we depend and turn to God, we, we, we do nothing but bring glory to God through those situations. 
say, I just don't know. I'm in such a predicament. I'm in such a situation. It seems like it's impossible, but there's no way out. Let me remind you, with God, all things are possible. I'm not sitting up here talking about some health, wealth, and prosperity scheme. But I am talking about the fact that when we are seeking to do the will of God, His will is always accomplished. Actually, in John, 1 John 5 and verses 14 through 15, take your Bibles, actually go there, look at this verse with me if you got it. 1 John verse, chapter number 5, verses 14 and 15. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15, I'm closing with this verse. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything to His will, He heareth us. And if, we know, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. The key of that is, though, that we ask in his will. You know what? I find myself in a situation because of my own boneheaded mistakes and say, man, I just don't have any money to pay my bills today, th this month. This is what I'm going to do. God, give me a million dollars so I can pay off my bills and buy a brand new mansion. Nope, that's not how it works. Am I saying that God won't provide and that he won't make a way? Uh, he, he is able, and a lot of times he does in spite of us, my friends. A lot of the problems we find ourselves in is because of our own silly mistakes. But God's still good, and he finds a way to get us through those mistakes many times. But he's not a vending machine. We don't get to hit A11 and say, okay, whatever drops out, I get that. He's not the genie in the lamp, and we rub it and say we get three wishes. If we ask anything according to his will. We know that he hears us. That's the key. Jeremiah was praying. Notice that Jeremiah never prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, I know those, the rest of Israel's been foolish and they've turned their back on you and they just haven't listened to me. Lord, will you make it to where I get a nice mansion here in this little lot in Jerusalem? And yeah, maybe uh, the Babylonians come and they take everything else, but just let me be safe and secure. He never asks for that. But in his prayer, he does pray and say, God, you are awesome. You're gracious. You're mighty. You're powerful. And you're trustworthy. See the difference in Jeremiah's prayer, most of our prayers, when we get ourselves in those types of situations? That's the type of prayer we ought to pray. Why? Because with God, all things are possible. Would you stand to your feet, please? Thank you for, so much for being with us this morning. With her heads bowed and her eyes closed, just out of respect of others this morning, I want to ask a set of simple questions, and then we'll be moving right along with the service. With her heads bowed and her eyes closed this morning, I wonder if there's anyone here who would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. God's been good to me because I know for sure that if I die today, I have a home in heaven. I know that I've called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, and I've trusted Him to be my personal Savior. Could I rejoice with you? Just slip your hand up as a testimony to that and right back down. I see hands all across the auditorium. Praise God to be in the presence of other believers today. If you raised your hand just a moment ago, or even if you weren't able to raise your hand, but you would be honest enough to say, Pastor, I know for sure that I'm not saved. Or you might sit there and say, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I, I, there's a little bit of doubt about that. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out or anything like that, but I do want to pray for you. And if you're here this morning, you'd say, I've heard a lot about an amazing God who does amazing things, who's able to save, but I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I have a home in heaven. I don't know that I have a relationship with this amazing God that is able to do the impossible. If that's you this morning, you'd say, Pastor, pray with me, pray for me, 
because I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you just slip your hand up and write back down? Anybody like that? I see one hand. Anybody else? Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I have a home in heaven. Just simply pray for me, Pastor, that I'd have the faith to trust Christ, that I would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as my Savior. One last question. And how many here would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I know that I'm going to experience trials. I know I'm going to experience troubles. I know that as I go along the way, uh, that some of them are going to be because of my own doing, making silly decisions. Some of them are just going to be because of the, the truth of the matter that we live in a sinful world. But Pastor, that as I experience these trials and I experience these troubles, Pastor, pray with me that I'd be like Jeremiah, that I go to the Lord in prayer, not seeking necessarily an escape from all the tribulation, but go to the Lord recognizing Him for who He is worshiping him, praising him, and saying, Lord, your will be done. If that's your heart this morning, and that's how the Lord spoke into your heart, could I pray with you also? Just slip your hand up and right back down, hands all across the auditorium. I'm going to pray, and when I'm finished praying, the music is going to begin to play. If the Lord spoke into your heart, and you'd like to come here to the front, bow at an old-fashioned altar, I'd encourage you to do so. If you're unable to come to the front, maybe right there where you're at, just sit down call out to the Lord, give him your heart, give him your needs and desires. Our Father, we do thank you for this morning. Thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, I ask now that you have your will and your way in this invitation. Do as only you can. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano begins to play, the altar are open. If you'd like to come forward and uh, just bow and give your, your, your requests to the Lord, give him your trials, your tribulations, your needs. Say, God, I know that you're in control, even in the midst of all that is going on, even in the midst of things that I would not choose for myself. I know that you're in control, and I'm trusting you in this time. If you are here and you do not know Christ as your Savior, if you'd want to know how you can know for sure that heaven's your home, you can slip right out of your seat, get my attention, I'll have someone show you from the Word of God how you can know for sure that heaven is your home.